Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and generally that is true. But there are times when imitation is not flattering at all. So I think we would all agree with that. Uh, but, but oftentimes, especially, you know, several years ago, and some of our young people won't know this, but many of us who are my age and older will remember this, uh, there used to be some fantastic comedians out there who could really do a good impression of individuals. And I'm thinking of individuals like Eddie Murphy on SNL or Dana Carvey, Frank Caliendo for those who, in the, who watch sports. Uh, he, he, that guy can impersonate pretty much any sports figure out there. Daryl Hammond, Jay Farrow. Jay Farrow can impersonate himself, impersonating himself, impersonating another celebrity. I don't know how he does it. It's weird. He's just, he's just that good, and I don't even know what that means. But when a, when a comedian can nail a great impression, it's almost as if you're listening to the actual person. Now, if you remember like back in the, in the, in the late 80s and the 90s, what, when, uh, when George, George H.W. Bush was president, okay, you all will remember this, that Dana Carvey, all right? Now, some of y'all don't know who Dana Carvey is. If y'all watch Wayne's World, he's Garth, okay? He's fantastic, okay? But Dana Carvey would do this impression of George H.W. Bush, Daddy Bush, as some of us call him, and it was so on point that George Bush invited him to the White House to make fun of him. And so he would get up on, he got up on stage at the White House and did this spot on impression. And you all know what it is. I mean, like, it wouldn't be prudent. Read my lips. It wouldn't be prudent. Okay. I don't do it justice, but that's what he did. And there was this point where, where he was doing during the election. You'll remember this when Ross Perot decided that he was going to jump in there and seek the, uh, the, the presidential nomination for the independent party. He got in there, and he did an impersonation of both Ross Perot and George H.W. Bush at the same time. It's one of the most impressive impressions I've ever seen in my, in my life. I was going to show it to you this morning, but it would have taken half of my sermon, and I, I've, got, I've got a time limit I've got to hit here, folks. And so, huh? chicken. There's chicken waiting and everything else. But look it up. Go on YouTube. Look up Dana Carvey doing George H.W. Bush. It's fantastic. Now, not all impressions are flattery. And in fact, what we've seen here lately out in our culture and our society is that oftentimes when we're doing an impression now, it's to ridicule or to make fun. It's not in good humor. Never today would a sitting president invite a comedian to come and impersonate the sitting president because likely it's all about ridicule and critique. And so not all impressions are meant to be flattering and many of these impressions are just really, really bad. Have you ever seen somebody do a bad impression and it's just cringeworthy? Like, oh my gosh, that's not even right, right? So not all impressions are very good. In today's passage, we're going to see the devil. We're going to see the devil and his lackeys attempt to imitate, or I would even say parody, the Holy Trinity. That's exactly what's happening in chapter 13 of Revelation, is that the devil and his minions are trying to impersonate God. That's what they're trying to do. And actually, that's what's, that, is, that is what's happening through all of Scripture. The devil is trying to impersonate or take on, the, uh, manifest in himself the power and the majesty that only God has. And it just doesn't work. 
So before we begin, I want to make sure that you and I are all on the same page. And in fact, you're going to help me this morning, okay? So there's going to be a point, and this may be weird to some of you all, okay? But there's going to be a point where I'm going to have you all chime into the sermon, okay? And you'll know when it is. It's going to be very obvious. It's the same thing every time. So it's not like you got to come up with something, all right? But you all are going to help me preach this morning. Because you see, the devil is cunning, and he can make us think that we are experiencing something good and holy when it's actually deadly. And that's what he likes to do. He likes to disguise what he's doing as something that is good and precious and wonderful and something that you want. You see, the devil is not going to present something before you that, is, that, that seems or appears obviously harmful because nobody in their right mind would choose pain. Oh, some people do. I see it all the time, right? I mean, look at some of the teams that people cheer for, right? I mean, you're just wanting to crucify yourselves, okay? But seriously, nobody in their right mind are going to choose pain over wealth and health and prosperity. So that's what he does. He, 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 he uh, tries to uh, prop up these deadly things and make them look so wonderful to the naked eye. And we need to remind ourselves what is true what is, and what is a lie. And so to do this, we're going to look at a brief passage from Exodus this morning to remind us that no one is like our God. And that's the, that's the, that's the words you're going to say this morning, okay? So when you see this come on a screen, you're going to say together, no one is like our God. So let's do that real quick. Let's just practice, okay? That no one is like our God. Okay, on three. One, two, three. No one is like our God. Okay, just remember that, okay? Remember that. We're going to see how good your all's memory is. Let's look at Moses' song from Exodus chapter 15, 1 through 18. Now, this is a song that Moses sings to the Lord after the Pharaoh and all of his people have been basically uh, completely crushed under the Red Sea. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, and the floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue you. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melt away. Terror and dread 
fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone to your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, where your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And so when Moses asks in his song, who is like you, O Lord? The obvious answer is this. There is no one like our God. And that is the truth. There is no one like our God. And that's what Moses is trying to say here. The Pharaoh and all of his people, the Pharaoh counted himself as a God above all other gods. And it was with the nostrils of the Lord that these waters rose up and crashed down on the Pharaoh. That's all it took. Because no one compares. It's important to remember that as we live in a world that is constantly trying to deceive us. Every one of us. Being a professor and an educator, I'm in the school every day. I'm in the college. I'm in the high school every day. And it is amazing, just in little ways, little ways, how often our institutions like that are being used of Satan to try to deceive our children. And I would love to say that the Christian schools are completely immune to that. But he'll use them too. He'll use them too. We have to be careful. And we have to continue to remember that there is no one like our God. So let's look at this first beast which is actually the second bad impression. But before we do that, I want to pray as we dive into this passage. Lord, be with us today as we walk through chapter 13, Lord, of Revelation. I pray that we would be astute and enlightened by your word, that we'd be astute to what you have presented here, Lord, and that we would apply it in every way that you would have us apply it, Father, and that we would not be deceived and lied to by Satan, and that we would... Uh, that we would be encouraged by your steadfast love, that we would be encouraged by how you are working for us and through us, uh, Father, and working ahead of us, uh, Father. And, uh, Lord, you know the lies that Satan tries to tell us. You know all those lies. You've heard them before. There is nothing new under the sun. Father, I pray that we would lean into your word and lean into truth and not be deceived by the world and the way Satan uses the world. Be with us now as we walk through your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 13, 1 through 10 says this, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and, the, they, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Did you catch that? Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Sounds awful similar to what Moses was saying about Yahweh. Who is like our God? Well, they're saying the same thing about the beast. 
And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Now, that's a long passage. There's a lot that we could try to uh, try to describe and all those sorts of things. We're not going to do that this morning. That's for a Bible study. What I want you to see this morning is the overarching picture, and it's this: is that this great dragon, the devil, Satan, is trying to impersonate God. He is trying to create his own Trinity. So we have the Holy Trinity: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Satan, the devil, the great red dragon, if you will, he's trying to create his own unholy trinity by himself, the dragon, the first beast, and the second beast. That's what I want you to see this morning. And the Lord has allowed him activity, allowed him to do his, his thing for 42 months. And we talked about over the last few weeks that all that 42 months means it's, a, it's symbolic of the time between Christ's resurrection and his second coming. That's all that is. So right now what we see is that Satan is able to have some reign over the earth right now between that period of time. That's all that we're seeing here. And so the dragon or the devil if you remember back in chapter 12, was left. He, he couldn't kill the baby. He couldn't kill Jesus. He could not prevent Jesus from doing what he was sent here to do, dying on the cross. That's what he wanted to do. He was trying to get rid of Jesus before Jesus could accomplish the cross, and he couldn't do it. And so in order to just cause trouble, even though he had been defeated, he's now going after the saints. That is, that, so at the end of chapter 12, we see Satan kind of looking, he's standing on the sea, looking over the ocean, right? Like, well, what am I going to do now? Well, the best thing I can do is just impersonate God. And so that's where we're left right here. So he's pictured standing on the seashore, preparing to call forth two minions meant to complete the unholy trinity. Now, let me just say this. How pitiful is the devil? He's just a pitiful God. He's pitiful. I mean, think about this. The devil, with all of his might, could not get Job to curse God. He did all this. He, the devil threw everything he possibly could at Job, and Job would not curse God. He failed there. He can't get Pharaoh to kill Moses. Pharaoh was an instrument, a, a pawn of the devil there. All right, we're going to go deeper into that here in a second. But just think about that. Pharaoh didn't kill Moses. He can't get a hungry and thirsty Jesus to give up his throne in the desert. Remember that in Matthew chapter 4, 
right? And so Satan gets baptized, and immediately Jesus goes out into the desert, and there's Satan trying to give him all of these things. Well, here's glory, here's riches, here's power, here's, here's food. And all Jesus says is, no. And he recites Scripture to him. And now this ultimate fail is that this horrible impression of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is trying to impersonate God, and he fails at that as well. It kind of reminds us of those videos. I don't know if you've seen this on on, uh, YouTube. Have you seen those videos on YouTube of these terrorists? Now, I know that sounds weird to say in the middle of a sermon, okay? But just follow me here, okay? I don't know if they're real or not, and if they're not real, somebody needs an award because they're amazing. But have you ever seen those videos of like seemingly they're terrorists and they're trying to rehearse rehearse their terrorist plot, either working with a bomb or something like that, and then all of a sudden they blow up? Like they blow themselves up trying to make this thing. Have you ever seen those? Okay, maybe I'm dreaming. I don't know. Maybe they're not real. But I know they're out there, okay? They're, they're these goofy videos, and people post them, and they're these guys trying to create this stuff to do harm for anybody, and they end up killing themselves because they don't know what they're doing, right? I mean, it's just absolute crazy. That's what it looks like. It looks like the Satan couldn't get it done earlier, so now he's going even bigger and badder trying to get it done this way, and he's going to fail at that as well. As well, he's going to blow himself up because in this case... The devil's just not God. He's just not God. But while the devil isn't God, he is not someone to take lightly. You know, I say he's pitiful, and he's a sad, sad impersonator of God, but he's not somebody we should take lightly. He's not funny. He does cause a lot of damage. But he's not God. Why? Because there is no one like our God. No one. Let's look at the first 10 verses here real quick. I'm just going to kind of walk through these real quick. First of all, this first beast is a culmination, a combination, if you will, of the beasts that we see in Daniel chapter 7. Now, I've already got 72 slides of verses in here, so I'm not going to put those up too. But if you go back, after, the, after you eat today and you're wanting to go veg out, open your Bible to Daniel chapter 7 and just read that. And you'll see how Daniel sort of foresees these different kingdoms that are represented by these different animals, right? And so we see, uh, we, we see that he has horns and crowns. He has more heads. All of this is meant to evoke power, but it's false because no one is like our God. And this beast resembles a leopard, a bear, and a lion, which all represents different kingdoms or governments in Daniel's day and going forward. And we see in verse 2 that the dragon gave his power and his throne and great, and great authority. Did you catch that in the passage? It says that the dragon gave the beast authority and gave him his throne. It, it reminds us of Matthew chapter 28, right? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who was it given by? It was given by God, right? Now, this is why I find this hilarious. Here's the dragon. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is out there in the desert, and Satan is trying to give all this stuff to Jesus. And I've told you all this before. It's ridiculous. Satan's trying to give all this stuff away to Jesus, And he either doesn't realize it 
or is just a moron. I don't know. He's not a moron. He knows what he's doing. But it just seems stupid because all the stuff that Satan is trying to give to Jesus, Jesus owns anyway. It's already his. Satan like, here's a throne. And Jesus is like, that's my throne. That's not yours to give. Here's the, whole, here's the kingdoms of the world. Those aren't yours, Satan. Those are mine. Those are mine. And here we have in this passage that the dragon is trying to give his power and his throne and great authority to this beast. Folks, it's not his to give anyway. He's not the one who is... The only reason the dragon has any authority or power at all right now is because God has allowed him to have it. And pretty soon he's going to take it all away. The devil is a pawn of God's. He's just a pawn. But the difference is this. Jesus' mission is first to save, not to destroy. And the devil and his beasts are bent on destruction. See the difference there. The devil is trying to impersonate the Holy Trinity. But his entire mission is to destroy. Jesus' mission is to save. And we see here, and I love this too, we see that this beast has what seems to be a mortal wound that has healed. It says that he has a mortal wound, right? Who's he trying to impersonate? He's trying to impersonate Jesus, right? Jesus had a mortal wound, right? But it says what seems to be a mortal wound, but it has healed. And some think that this is an exact impression of Jesus, but it's not. It's not an exact. In fact, it is a pitiful impression of Jesus, and this is why. This wound on the beast may look bad, but it was healed. Jesus' wound killed him. He died. But then he was raised. He wasn't just healed. He was given new life. He came out of the grave. And this is how I read this. The devil's a coward. That's exactly what Satan is. He's a coward. Christ went to Golgotha, bearing that cross on his back, knowing full and well that he was going to be beaten and tortured, and he was going to die as an innocent man, bearing the sins of many. And he was going to die a horrible, horrible death. Jesus was no coward, but Satan is. Why? Because there is no one like our God. And we can keep on going. Jesus seeks to spread the good news to the lost, but the beast desires to kill those who are saved. Jesus' words are filled with love, joy, peace, and holiness. The beast's words are blasphemous, filled with hate and unholiness. But the saints are called to endure, and we can endure because there is no one like our God. Do you see that? You see what's going on here? Is that Satan can't win at any of his games, so the last trick he has to play is to pretend that he's God. That's what he's doing, and he's doing it right now. Satan is pretending to be God right now, and he is using the authority of kingdoms of the earth to do his bidding. That's exactly what's happening. 
And I told you last week, I don't mean for you to take that, is that every governing or ruling authority is of Satan, okay? Because remember who puts those, those kingdoms in power. It's God. God is ultimately in control. But Satan will use and work through some of those kingdoms to do his bidding. It will happen. It ha- it's been happening since the dawn of government. Now let's look at this second beast, or what I call the third bad impression, okay? So the first bad impression is the dragon himself, all right? He's just an ultimate, just a failure. The second bad impression is the first beast, and the third bad impression is the second beast. Revelation 13, 11 through 18 says this, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, It makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. So the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man and his number is six, six, six. Now, if the first beast was a bad impression, the second beast is even worse. Basically, the second beast likes to do party tricks. That's, I'm going I'm to bring fire down from heaven. Well, that's not new. That's not new at all. Now he's just impersonating the, the, he's impersonating the prophets of God, right? That's not something we haven't seen before. We've seen it before. Remember the wise men of the Pharaoh. They were doing party tricks too, right? Right there around Moses. I mean, party tricks are nothing new. And that's what the second beast is doing. He's just doing party tricks. It's meant to look like Jesus. It has horns and appears like a lamb, doesn't it? So it's meant to look like Jesus. He can't even get that impression right. Because it looks like Jesus, but it sounds like who? Satan. It sounds like the dragon. I believe this is why God gave us all five senses. Sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Because it helps us evaluate, right? Something may look good, but it tastes horrible. Have you ever done that? Oh, that looks wonderful. And then you put it in your mouth and you're like, that tastes horrible. And the problem is that the person who made it has the ability to see. Because you're like, that's wonderful, you know? By the way, that impression does not translate to the uh, podcast, so just tell everybody that that looked awesome, all right? So something may look good, but it tastes horrible. It may look good, but it stinks, right? You ever see something that's like, that looks good, and then you like, wa- that, like, you, you like walk into the smell, and it like knocks you over? You, you know what I mean by that, right? It's like this big, like salmon patties, Brussels sprouts, yeah, but like, not yours, mom, yours smell like roses, but I mean, but like seriously, like salmon patties, 
Like you see a salmon patty and you're like, that looks wonderful. And they taste good. But they smell like death. <laughs> they do. They, just, they smell like death, right? Only a person who truly appreciates and adores the taste of a salmon patty can endure the stench. Anyway. It's almost as if our eyes are easily deceived, so the other senses kind of have to take over, right? So like I can gaze upon the most beautiful guitar in the world, but if it sounds like a kazoo and feels like a stiff board, I'm not going to buy it. And who knows? Even if the store owner ain't looking, I may smell it. I do. I smell my guitars. When nobody's looking, because that's just weird, right? I just just smell them, because I can smell whether it's real wood. I might even taste one. A really good guitar tastes like milk duds. Just saying. Okay. The second beast looks like a lamb, but his words are evil. He looks good. He's putting all these, but the words that he's speaking are satanic. They're blasphemous. He tries to get people to apostatize. He tries to cause people to worship false idols. Did you catch that? He even made the idol of the first beast to basically sing and dance, all right, so that people would worship it. It would be like if Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3 was able to get that large golden pole of himself, that idol, to, to dance and sing. And man, if I could have done that, I could have got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I could have got them to dance. I could have got them to worship. But see, the people of God see through that. They see through the lies. True believers will not convert because there is no one like our God. The devil can lie to you all that he wants, but they're never going to be the truth of the Lord. The more significant act of treason, though, of this little beast, the more significant act of treason that he commits is that he causes all commerce to be tied to false worship. That's what's happening here. So probably one, I would say that this is the most often referenced passage in Revelation of 666. Hollywood has made this like their, their bread and butter when it comes to religion. All right, usually looking at Catholic churches and exorcism and all that kind of stuff. But 666 is like what they go to always, right? I don't know if you all have ever seen the movie The Omen. All right, it's an older movie. But the little kid in there was his name Damien. All right, if I ever see a boy with the name Damien, I just run. I, I run, all right? Or it, like I might try to like look through his scalp to see if 666 is emblazoned on his head. You know what I mean, right? And I'm just going to tell you, I don't believe 666, and I'm going to walk through this. I don't believe that's a literal thing, but if I ever see that on somebody's scalp, it's over. Like, it's over. I'm leaving, I'm moving, I, I can't deal, okay? All right? But you know, it's a powerful thing. When people, I have had individuals, I have bought stuff before. And the price comes out as $6.66. And I have had individuals tell me that the price is $6.65. They won't go to $67 because they know I ain't paying an extra penny. But they will go to $65 so that they don't force me to pay the devil's number. Right? It's, it's like the 13th floor of a hotel, right? Which is just stupid anyway, okay? It's still the 13th floor, folks. Anyway, okay, let's look at this passage. Also, it causes all both, this is verses 16 and 18. Also, it causes, it being the smaller, be or the next beast, 
It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Folks, all that means is this, is that man was created on what day? The sixth day. That's all it means. And so whereas seven is a perfect and holy number that represents God, six is less than holy. It is fallen. It is broken. And so the number of the beast could never be 777. It has to be 666. It's not a literal thing, okay? It's not a literal stamp on the forehead or forehead or on the hand. It is meant to imitate the seal that the Holy Spirit places on believers. That's what it's meant to imitate. Where the Holy Spirit seals us for eternity, the devil wishes us to be sealed so that we must follow him in order to be able to participate in society. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're going to have barcodes or chips. I know that that's been a common, especially here recently. There have been individuals that say the new vaccines are the mark of the beast because they have chips in them and all this kind of... Folks, that's not what's going on. Okay, I promise you that's not what's going on. It has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. But what it does mean is that in order for you to participate in society, you are going to have to basically you are going to have to uh, compromise your beliefs. That's what it means. What it means is that in the future, for those of us who hold to the whole of Scripture and to the gospel, it will become harder and harder for us to make a living and to participate in society. That's what's going to happen. And we're already seeing that. We're already seeing that, folks. Photographers, cake bakers, doctors, nurses... And even teachers and professors are finding it more difficult to live for Christ and to make a living at the same time. So a a baker of a cake, who is a Christian, will bake a cake for anybody. For anybody. He'll bake a cake for anybody. But he won't bake a cake to celebrate what he or she considers to be an unholy, an unholy union in matrimony. He won't bake a cake celebrating the marriage of a same-sex couple. He will bake a cake for them any other day of the week for anything else, but he won't do that. And he's forced to give up his job, his career because of it. I'm a photographer. I've done, I've done weddings. I've done engagement photos. I've done all kinds of photos. And I told my wife that I will sell every bit of my camera gear if someone tries to get force me to shoot pictures of something that I deem to be unbiblical. I won't do it. I absolutely won't do it. Doctors are being forced out of their profession because they refuse to do abortions. Nurses, the same thing. Teachers and professors who are being forced to teach things in school that they don't believe is biblical 
are being either, at, at the very least, are being ostracized and maligned. Now, you can make a living for sure if you are willing to compromise your beliefs. That's the mark. The mark is not some sort of tattoo. It's this. Are you willing to compromise your faith for the sake of the blessings of the devil, if you will? How far are you willing to go to compromise yourself in order to live in this world? At what point are you willing to say, enough is enough, I don't need that. I don't need the riches of the world if I don't have Christ. Have we already compromised ourselves? Because money is temporary, stuff is temporary, wealth is temporary, power is temporary, life is eternal. Choose life that you may live. Now the final point is this. The devil wants you to disband from God and his people in order to follow his false idols and the false promises of the world. That's what he wants you to do, okay? So he wants Charlie and Amy and Riley and Christy and Lucas and Patty, which sounds weird me saying that, but and Tasha and Paul, every one of us, he wants you to disband from him, from God, disband from the church, and he wants you to chase all those beautiful little things, career, the perfect spouse, the perfect children, all the money and the wealth, all the success in the world. But what the devil wants you to know is that the only way you'll have that perfect stuff is if you compromise your faith. That's what he's telling you. So what I want to do in the last bit of this message is I want to show you what you'll be giving up. And I'm going to take it right out of Scripture. So let's go. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Are you willing? Are you willing for a fat bank account to give up that? There is no one like our God. Psalm chapter 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God's Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from, the, from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of, my, of many thousands of people who have, set, who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is what's funny. No one is crying out to Satan for him to save them. We cry to the Lord. The Lord is our refuge. The Lord is our salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Why? There is no one like our God. Now rapid fire. 
John 1 through 4, 1, 1, 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Are you willing to give that up? Psalm 93, 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Are you willing to give that up? Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Do you want to give that up? Exodus 34, 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Is Satan going to forgive your iniquity? Absolutely not. He revels in your iniquity. He revels in your sin. He loves your transgressions, but the Lord has mercy. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I love that. Tattoo that on my forehead. All right? Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Satan never died for you. And there is no one, not one political person, kingdom authority, politician, celebrity, not a spouse, not a child, not your favorite person in the whole wide world is going to give their life for yours that you might have eternal life. Someone may die for you to save your life, your physical life, but only Christ can give you eternal life. And my favorite one in here, I love this. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is how complete God's glory is. The devil is a filthy liar. He's a filthy liar, a horrible, pitiful God. And the world's promises are fleeting. I am begging you, I am begging you, do not choose the world over Christ. Do not choose the world over It is better for you to live in squalor. It is better for you to live in squalor, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, to have a negative bank account, than to compromise your faith for all the riches in the world. Because those riches will fade. But there is no one like our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we give you the glory this morning.
and we give you all the praise. Father, I ask that as we conclude our service this morning, Lord, that you would be exalted in all that we do, that you would be honored. Father, of all those verses that I read, they list many, many reasons to praise you, to celebrate you, and to give you glory. And there is not one in all of Scripture or in all the world, there is not one reason to ever praise that filthy liar, that dragon. But there are thousands, thousands upon thousands of reasons to give all the glory to Christ. May we this morning honor you with our lives. Help us, Father, to see our sin and to repent of our sin. And help us to worship you you alone. Because truly, Father, there is no one like our God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.